0: learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You.
1: Greetings, everyone. I am Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising out of the use and misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cybersecurity, and today, gamification. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org.
1: We are pleased to announce, as we do every episode, the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Greetings there, Jethro.
0: Hello, Fred. Good to see you today.
1: Good to see you.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, I will introduce Clarence to us all today. Clarence Tan is the co-founder and the chief executive officer of Bottle Learning, a gaming platform for education. Clarence Tan graduated from the University of Missouri, Kansas City with a bachelor's in business administration. He started his entrepreneurial journey into educational games during his junior year at the university when he started a game development company in Columbia, South America in 2011. Did you start a business or a gaming company in your junior year of college? I don't think so. (laughs) I did
1: not. (laughs) Neither did I.
0: Lawrence is a veteran in the games industry with over 10 years of game design experience. He has designed engaging interactive experiences for schools, government institutions, and large corporations. He's also a speaker on classroom gamification at educational conferences such as KCPT, LearnFest, and ISTE. Clarence, welcome to the Shops podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, we're excited to talk to you. Um, one of the things that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast was gamification and what that looks like in the classroom. So it's good that we're able to talk with you today. So um, talk to us about developing a game in Colombia, not here in the United States where you went to school, but developing a game outside for someone else. Tell us a little bit about that to start
2: us off. Yeah. I mean, I think developing games in general, is always different team by team. So I think geography doesn't change it too much. But back in 2011, how it happened was I was doing my business administration and finance degree. And I was like, you know what? I I think games, building games is much more interesting. So we did that on the side um, we had a, I was remote because I was back in Kansas City still doing my university. And uh, my friends, they were in, we had some in Europe, we had some in South America, Colombia. So it came down to like remote work back in 2011. So as far as I've known, it's, it's always been, work has always been remote. And so the pandemic pretty much did not affect me.
0: Yeah, very, very <laughs> yeah. interesting one of the things with gamification that we find is that it changes the dynamics in the classroom and makes it so that things come across just a little bit differently. Can you talk about why you think using games in the classroom is worthwhile?
2: Yeah. So I think the, the first thing to note is, you know, there's gamification, which is like adding game roles to non-game experiences and there's the whole different aspect which is like game-based learning right using games to learn um we are in the middle so we are gamifying experiences learning experiences but we're doing it inside the game environments but in general using games to learn is really really effective because games are the best medium to reach kids now i think the last stat i saw was 98 percent of kids play games and and games are there's a whole like framework about why games work, but essentially they're engaging because obviously it's interactive. Um, kids get to get immediate, or players actually, get to get immediate feedback from their choices and, and be able to experience different things from it in a very safe environment. But also, you know, games give you rewards that typically players would know ahead of time what they're aiming towards. So it's, it's there's a very clear goal There's a very clear, I did this and therefore I reached this and I am so much closer or so much further away from my goal. And so it's just a very strong feedback loop that it's not just about the end goal, but it's about the process of getting there.
1: Clarence, can you give our listeners uh, an example or two of the kinds of gamification that seem to work well?
2: Yeah, so I would say gamification in general works really well. And I'll give you examples inside the classroom, outside the classroom. I think one of the most easy to understand gamification techniques would be like a punch card, right? You go to a coffee shop or a bubble tea shop. I don't know if you're you're familiar with that. But as soon as you buy a drink, they give you a punch card. So that is a form of gamification, right? Uh, If you look at credit card companies, right? The rewards that they give you, the the cash back based on categories that they give you, kind of incentivizes you to shop a different way. And that's a form of gamification, right? Using points and rewards. And then there are, but a lot of these like mechanics are typically found in games, right? You, you hit a streak, you get a bonus, you, you reach a certain goal, you get a reward. These are, are aspects that are typically found in, um, you know, games. But in classroom settings, there are a lot of different examples. There could be simple gamification, which is a teacher, having a class leader board, you know, hey, great job, Tommy, here's 10 points, and then there's a prize for the winner. Those are really simple aspects of gamification, and then there are the the more complicated um, or more advanced gamification techniques, which is like delivering education through games, which is what we're trying to do right now, or which is what we're actually doing right now.
1: So this is uh, reminiscent of the Hogwarts you know, competition, how many points to Gryffindor for, you know, whatever is going on. So that, that actually raises an interesting question because it seems to me just kind of using JK Rowling as an example, you can get misbehavior from kids because the gamification drives certain behaviors. Has that been a problem or are there strategies that you
2: use to offset that potential? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good, good question. Yes. So if you look at like from a high level, gamification is incentives or t- essentially adding rules that would cause people to, you know, give them a drive to do something, right? So a very good example of how gamification can backfire is a leaderboard, right? So if you look at a leaderboard, I'm giving kids points. It, it works really well for the for the students that are on the top half of the leaderboard. yeah, But for the it, works really, right? <laughs> it works really bad for the, for the kids who are on the bottom like half, right? Because it, it, not only are they, they know that they can't reach the top anymore, but now their performance is on display on a regular basis. So now it starts to you know, drive, you know, discouragement. And so that's an example of how gamification can actually backfire. And so it comes down to, you know, adding and and, and making the gamification techniques a little bit stronger. So for example, maybe um, instead of giving points and highest points equals a reward, maybe every point you get, you get a, um, what's it called? Like a, not lottery ticket, a raffle ticket, right? So even if you you have 10 tickets, every point and every ticket you get counts because it's random, it's a random draw. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way you can, balance it is have leaderboards that refresh on a regular basis so that it's, it's not uh, oh beginning of the school year it's at the end of the school year and then and then um you know so it's, uh, you have to perform for the whole school year but it's more so here's a leaderboard for the week maybe i have a chance of doing this project even though i'm typically not a very good student uh, of doing this project really well. And I could get on top of the leaderboard because of that project. So it can drive engagement. It just comes down to how you're designing and and gamifying the classroom.
0: Yeah, so Clarence, what should teachers be thinking about before they implement some sort of gamification or a learning through games into their classroom?
2: Yeah, I, I think the, and I, This is not my book, but I love promoting it. There's a book called Actionable Gamification. I think the author's name is Yukai Chao, but he talks about essentially eight core drives and and how they play into human behavior. And so I think from from an educator's perspective, if they understand the eight core drives, they could start planning ahead of time in terms of if I implement just a leaderboard, where are the the aspects that would cause me to cause students to potentially be unmotivated, what are things that would drive kids to be more motivated and and making sure that you are building and gamifying your classroom and adding different rules to make sure you accommodate for edge cases, which is game design.
0: So with that, what uh, shouldn't kids be interested in learning just for the sake of learning? And aren't we tricking them into learning by bringing gaming into the classroom?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's a really <laughs> good question. This, this question always comes up. Um, yes, but then you know the, the process always the process could always be painful, right it, it, it could be long and painful. so gamification can make those processes better. But in addition to that, gamification, it lets you, as a user, know, know and track your progress, which is really, really important. So it makes small little moments count. And, and the best example that I could find from my personal life was when I used to stack boxes and pack trucks at UPS. So I would always stack boxes and, and pack trucks, and I was one of the lowest performers uh, when it came to, you know, they call it truck loading. Uh, until one day, I was like, you know what? Every time I scan, it shows me how many boxes I actually packed. My average was 350 to 500 in a shift. And then when I started comparing that with my brother, who coincidentally worked at UPS at the same time, and my other coworkers, I'm like, wow, that girl. Um, Victoria, she's actually at 473 for tonight. I'm at 350. I look, you know, and I I started (laughs) gauging. I'm like, wow, you know what? I'm actually one of the lowest performers. Let's see how fast I can get it. And I just kept doing that for two months. And it went from my performance increased so much to where I was packing, you know, 300 boxes a night and on a truck that ships packages to Sedalia, Missouri, all the way till I went to New York, New Jersey truck, packing 2,000. Uh, boxes at night nothing changed same amount of hours same person I did not get any stronger at least I did not feel it I was still the skinny (laughs) skinny Asian guy who was packing you know boxes in the truck but it was just that mindset of I'm tracking my progress I can see improvement on a daily on an hourly basis and and that kind of drives me to motivates me to perform better and and the same could be used for many different things like like shouldn't we always want to be healthier, right? But until we start tracking it on a Fitbit or, 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 or Apple Health, right? Wow, you know what? This is how I'm doing compared to my friends. Um, this is how I'm doing compared to where I was before. And you can see the improvement. That little magic moments of those micro moments of, wow, I actually made it today. I ran three miles or you know, whatever those goals are, really drives people to you know, pull beyond what they're comfortable with and, and pull beyond the negative experience of exercising, for example, because running is painful. And that's where I think, you know, gamification could really be used to make moments that are tough or are not so enjoyable, really meaningful.
1: This is this is interesting. I, w- I will say, um, Clarence, that your point about that kind of competition is spot on because, Coming out of the pandemic and spending a year in, you know, the UK eating sausage rolls, I really needed to change diet. And it wasn't until my sister proposed a contest for me and my siblings that it actually became something worth doing. And you know, that that probably bespeaks some mental failing on my part, but still, the gamification really does help with that whole process. I think you're raising some interesting points. So there's there's a couple of different ways here uh, you, you know, that you go at it. And I think this gets back to that middle ground you were talking about at the beginning, right? Because it seems to me that you could gamify the process of learning, which is putting these external competitions in place. I'm going to get a raffle ticket. I'm going to win the week, whatever it is. Or you can introduce gamification to the subject matter itself as a tool for helping kids to understand concepts as part of their educational process. yeah. So is that correct? And if so, can you talk about that distinction?
2: Yes, so um, if I'm understanding clearly, one is designing the experience as a game itself. The other one is, the other comparison would be introducing game game elements or gamification to an already existing learning experience,
1: right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah, or to to a subject that, you know, you're trying to help kids understand and grasp and, and recall.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I'll speak from my experience, and it will kind of illustrate why I think gamification in the short term is the more scalable and actionable choice as compared to what we call game-based learning. I mean ultimately everybody like when everybody envisions game based learning right creating a game kids going kids going or players going into the game experience or assimilation simulation and really learning through the experience everybody I, at least most people I meet think that's the much better option which and I still believe that but there's a very very high amount of difficulty in doing so and it's not and it's really expensive and not scalable to do so the example I would use is the Colombian uh, gaming project that i I worked on starting in twenty twelve. We were building games to cover k through eleven math science, Spanish social studies. There was at least minimum two thousand five hundred academic topics that we had to cover. You know, on paper, we had to we had to build two thousand five hundred games. It, almost an impossible task, but then, we were going with it from the game-based learning approach, right? So, you know, we had to be creative. We had to build, for example, a pizza cutting game, right, to teach fractions. Um, we would have like this cell division, like orbiting game to teach um, the noble gases. I forgot what is called the, the electrons and the neurons and all of that. I mean, there are ways to make it really, really fun. Like for example, a good company who did that was um, DragonBox, right? They they had. Yep. They had like a, like an algebra game, isolate X, and it was through tiles and cards. And, but the challenge I, I see with that is unless it's in an immersive three experience, it's really, really hard to capture the same amount of engagement, especially when kids are looking at Roblox and Fortnite um, on the other end, right? So it's one of those things where, for us, when we build those games, kids sniffed through the education right off the bat and it wasn't really that engaging for them and from a developer standpoint you know I'm talking about implementing it in school it's really hard for us to measure success because it's very experimental right I don't know for example fractions for pizza cutting they're moving pizza slices around they were slicing it there's a lot of experiential learning there but it's a lot of extra work in order for us to find out whether or not they learned anything and so from, in terms of implementing it in school, it was a really, really hard task. In terms of learning, it might've been great. Uh, so that's where with Bottle, the reason why we went with the gamification approach, what we do is we build games that are similar to the ones kids would play outside the app store. It's like an, an alternate version of Flappy Bird, you know, alternate version of like um, Subway Surfers. We were building these hyper casual games that are really fun. And we're embedding learning content when they do need to get power-ups, when they do, essentially where games would show ads, we get them to add. Um, so that's where we embed learning content. And we're seeing very, very high engagement with actual learning content that teachers have embedded or teachers have, have built, for example.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I wanna address that piece because I think it's really important what you're talking about that the, instead of doing an ad, they're doing an, an addition problem. And that type of approach, certainly we'd much rather expose all of our kids to more learning than exposing them to more ads. And I think that there's a a case to be made for, for doing more of that. And I like that approach because if you need, if you want to keep playing the game, then you're doing these other, you're doing these math problems to to get more time, which is much better than sitting through a 30-second ad that is really annoying (laughs) so so I like that approach that that seems like a much better way to do it what was it that made you recognize that that was the right way to approach this problem what what in your mind clicked that said this is what we need to be doing Um, and you talked a little bit about sniffing out education I think there's something there too but what was it that made you make that change
2: I think it was mainly like a discovery through experience. So we built like hundreds of those games, had kids try it and the engagement was low. It was hard to get buy-in from teachers because they had to now create worksheets just to test whether or not it actually helped. And, you know, we were gonna default on that project and then we just tried a simple hack and slash game. Like here's a sword, you have a knight, here's a sword, answer question, your weapon would glow in flames. Our thought process was, you know what, if we were gonna default on this project, let's at least build something that we would enjoy playing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we built this whole like night experience, like night and monster chopping experience. So we, the the process was kids answer a question, which the way we got our questions was we went to the bookstore, bought a bunch of textbooks, loaded a bunch of content and just to try the concept. Kids answer a question, if they got it right, their weapon would glow in flames, you gotta chop monsters, run around, and uh, teachers get to choose what what questions go in and then the data comes back. That was our prototype, right? Three months, really quick, let's try it out. Um, We thought it would fail because game-based, again, I still believe game-based learning is a very strong way of doing it, but it's just really expensive to build. But we tried it out and then the kids went crazy. They were chopping monsters left and right. They're screaming in the classroom. They were working on math problems. And the teachers loved it because they did not have to learn about the game. Mm-hmm. They don't have, did not have to turn it into some sort of like lesson plan. All they had to do was say, basic addition with carryover, let me send that into game. My kids run around chopping monsters and I get all this data back. So it was a win-win for students. It was a win for the teachers and they loved it. And eventually we got kicked out of all the schools because it was obviously way too violent. But that was a spark, right? And, and I think the main learning
1: fantastic <laughs> right so so you could clearly build education into you know grand theft auto there's a bunch of different things that, <laughs> but you yeah, do have to be careful could, about could, the
0: right,
1: right. you yeah. have to be careful about the underlying content that makes sense well let me ask you this last question here clarence because i think you're you're really you're on the verge of some really interesting research and it seems what you're saying is that all of this is in its infancy really, that we're figuring out how to do this and how effective it is as a learning device. Would you agree that the kinds of gamification that you're talking about, putting aside the hack and slash approach, um, works better at younger grade levels because it's more of a fact-based approach to education that the concepts are not as complicated? I'm, I'm contrasting that with, for instance, middle school or even high school, where you're starting to get into some more conceptual concepts, theoretical concepts, things that are a little harder to quantify.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it could be, it could be, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I don't know if I can give a definite answer, but from a very high level, I think there's a very simple way to think about it, right? When you design games around educational topics, you are bringing the audience or the learners to you, to this experience. So you're designing their experience around the education. Whereas when you're doing gamification, there are good ways to do it and there are poor ways to do it. The poor way to do it is not to make the experience fun, but just to give points, right? That's a a bad, a very simple cop-out way of doing it. Whereas if you build a game experience to meet students where they're at, right? to meet the users, how they like to experience things, and then embed what you want into that experience, I think that's more effective than doing it the other way around.
1: It's a really interesting topic, Clarence, and I really wanna thank you for coming on and explaining it to us. Um, I I think we're gonna see some fun stuff in the years to come. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah,
1: of course, thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, obviously gamification, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast in all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you have enjoyed the show and that you would reach out to us with topic suggestions or guest ideas. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. If you're still listening, you must have loved this interview. So if that's the case, please leave us a five-star rating interview on your podcast player of choice. And we look forward to seeing you for our live show episode 100 on Monday. Can't wait for that. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually.